Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome. New tonight, Scott Morrison's plans if the coalition loses the election. Just in, corporate America's bold new move against Russia. The urgent search for a grandfather missing in the Victorian Alps and Chris Dawson's murder trial underway. The first witness takes the stand. First tonight, the Prime Minister is refusing to step down if he loses the election. Political reporter Rob Scott joins us from Perth this evening. Rob Scott Morrison says he's here to stay, win or lose. Yeah, very interesting from the Prime Minister tonight, Ange. Uh, the first time that he's really uh, properly addressed that question about whether he will remain as leader if the coalition loses this Saturday. He's long been asked that question, but has always deflected. Uh, and tonight he has confirmed that if the coalition loses, he will, of course, accept all responsibility. But he says that voters shouldn't take it as a given, that that means he will step down as leader if they're not re-elected. Take a listen. I'm not contemplating on that being the scenario. OK, what if there was um, and, a hung you know, Lee, parliament, people, Prime Minister? Lee, Sorry, Lee, can no, I just... Lee, no, Prime no, Minister. I, I'm, not, I'm not getting into the scenario games, Lee. Prime because Minister, right now I'm focused on one thing. I'm focused on one thing, and that's ensuring that our government continues. And Rob, Scott Morrison has been out tonight again defending his housing plan. Yeah, he has been forced to defend that plan to allow younger Australians to dip into their superannuation and take out $50,000 to help them buy their first home ever since he announced it at yesterday, yesterday's official Liberal Party campaign launch in Brisbane. It's a policy that's been widely panned by economists and, of course, by the Labor Party who say all it will do will drive up property prices. But Scott Morrison says when it's taken uh, in conjunction with its sister policy, which allows Australians a aged 55 and over to pump $300,000 from the sale of their uh, family homes into superannuation without affecting their pension it makes perfect sense. It boosts their ultimate retirement incomes because they're investing in their own home, the best investment anyone ever makes, and it ensures they can get into the housing market earlier, saving them time and reducing their ultimate mortgage payments. Prime Minister, it, it, it adds up at every level. And Rob, there was an interesting comment from the Prime Minister about why he thinks the independents are tracking so well. Yes, and she's, he's been saying for quite a while now that a vote for these so-called teal independents would be a vote for a chaotic parliament. Now, tonight uh, he's spelled out a little bit more about exactly what he means and why these uh, traditionally blue ribbon seats have become vulnerable. He basically is saying that they are all affluent areas and the voters in those uh, seats are more likely to be happy to take a risk on an unknown quantity than those voters in lower socioeconomic areas. As time has gone on, many of these places, I suppose, are less vulnerable to the impacts of the economy than, say, many of the places I've been in this campaign. Scott Morrison continuing tonight to, uh, to make the promise that he is capable and will change his bulldozer ways that he adopted throughout the pandemic if he's re-elected this Saturday.
Ange. Okay, Rob Scott, thank you. And soon we'll have fresh analysis of Scott Morrison's superannuation announcement. And I speak with Greens leader Adam Band, direct from the party's campaign launch. Meanwhile, the LNP is vowing an election candidate in Queensland will cooperate with police to clear his name over a scuffle outside an early voting booth. Henry Pike, running for the seat of Bowman, is accused of pushing over a Labor volunteer over signage. Pike claims he was the one who was charged at and acted in self-defence. No charges have been laid. Officers are looking into it. We've just received news Sweden will officially apply to become a member of NATO. It had been tossing up whether to join the alliance, having historically opposed it. But tonight, the country's prime minister has confirmed it will formally make the request. Finland also wants in. Russia has warned of consequences for both nations. Breaking tonight, McDonald's is leaving Russia completely. The fast food chain is selling its 850 restaurants, saying its business there is no longer consistent with the company's values. McDonald's had temporarily shut its stores in protest of the war in Ukraine and kept paying its 62,000 workers. It's now going one step further, looking for a local buyer. The CEO says after 32 years of operating in Russia, it cannot keep the arches shining there. We cross next to Victoria Police Headquarters. Estelle Griping is there for us. Estelle, we're expecting brutal conditions in the search for a grandfather missing in the state's high country. Good evening, Ange. That's right. 70-year-old Christo will be contending with icy winds and freezing conditions. That's after he went missing on Friday afternoon. He told his wife he was going for a walk to see emus, a dinner plane in Victoria's high country. Tonight will be the fourth night that he's been missing, and that means extra volunteers have been added to the search party tonight. That's on top of police and SES crews. We know that the town's shops are virtually empty, because people who work there have also joined the search. Everyone wanting to get Christo back home to his family. But today, police have admitted that time is running out and every hour is critical in this search. Let's take a listen now to what they've had to say. It doesn't matter what age you are, when you face extreme conditions like this, it takes a toll on your body. And when you've been without food and water for a number of days, um, that's really going to be hard on you. And Christo was last seen wearing just light clothing. The best hope now is that he is somewhere sheltering, waiting for police to find him. And Indeed. OK, thanks so much, Estelle. The latest now from the trial of Chris Dawson, accused of killing wife Lynette in the 1980s. Angelique Opie is live for us outside the Supreme Court in Sydney. Angel, we heard evidence from the first witness. What did she testify? Yes, and well, 40 years on from the disappearance, and today we did hear from that first witness. Former neighbour Julie Andrew told the court that she saw a violent argument break out between teacher Chris Dawson and his wife Lynette when she was hanging up the washing. She told the court as well how frightened she felt for her friend. Lynette was seen wailing and crying as he was screaming at her. Later saying that Lynette told her the argument was about the student 
resident he was having an affair with moving into their home. She also testified that the 16-year-old was seen uh, sunbaking topless in their backyard and that Lynette found her husband and this young woman in bed together. And how did Chris Dawson's defence team respond in court? Well, Dawson's barrister, Pauline David, uh, argued that um, Miss Ed, uh, Miss. Andrew, rather, uh, was making uh, her appearance quite clear in uh, podcasts and on media coverage as well. Uh, the defence also said that there was an argument surrounding her uh, talks on um, whether there was going to be actors Joel Edgerton and Hugh Jackman appearing in a film about the case. She was asked if she liked the attention, but she replied no. The trial continues tomorrow. And Okay, thanks so much. Angel. Let's go straight to Joel Dry in Queensland for us. Joel, Australians are honouring the late Andrew Simons in a special way. Yeah, well, Australians fell in love with Andrew Simons thanks to his exploits on cricket grounds like here at the Gabba and all around the world. But for the boy from the bush of North Queensland, he was happiest when taking part in the simple pleasures of life, fishing and hunting. And in fact, it's thought that that's maybe what he was doing, pig hunting to the west of Townsville when he crashed his ute on Saturday night and lost his life. Now, people in North Queensland, Australia, all around the world are choosing a unique way to honour the legend. They are putting their fishing rods out, rods out for Roy as it has become known. It is a fairly fitting tribute to a man who once asked Cricket Australia if he could take a pay cut so that he could go fishing more often. Tributes are also flowing from cricketing greats all around the world, Sachin Tendulkar, Brian Lara and also Matthew Hayden, his great mate and batting partner who we spoke to this afternoon. He'll never, ever be forgotten. He epitomised what it was like to play for the Bulls um, and what it's like to play for the Baggy Green. Mateship, play the game hard and fair, you know, make sure you're supporting each other and, and more than anything, have a go. Simo never did anything in halves. <laughs> he, was, he was either full noise up it or forget it. We understand members of Andrew Simon's family have now flown into Townsville where they will sadly begin the process of planning a funeral. As for the incident itself, it is still being investigated by members of the forensic crash team. Uh, toxicology will be performed on uh, Andrew Simon's body, but we believe that there is no doctor available in Townsville at the moment to perform that autopsy. One is being flown in from the southeast. All of those answers, and will be forthcoming, but for tonight and the days to come it is just about honoring an australian legend yeah an incredible man okay thanks so much joel tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free that's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Morrison government's superannuation plan for first home buyers has drawn strong criticism from many economists. One of those is Saul Eslake from the University of Tasmania. Thanks for joining us, Saul. What do you think the coalition's super scheme would do to the housing market in Australia? 
Well, I think it would put some upward pressure on the price of housing, as the superannuation minister herself acknowledged earlier today when she was being interviewed about it. And that's the view not only of economists like me, but of politicians from both sides of the political divide, including Matthias Cormann, the former finance minister in the Abbott and Turnbull governments and now head of the OECD, which is one of the bastions of economic orthodoxy globally. Uh, on the other side of politics, Paul Keating has said much the same thing, as have former governor of the Reserve Bank, Ian McFarlane, for example. So there's a widespread spectrum of opinion that says schemes like this will put upward pressure on house prices. And while they may well benefit the relatively small number of people who are in a position where they can take advantage of the scheme, for those who are not able to, for whatever reason, upward pressure on house prices just simply puts the dream of home ownership even further out of reach for those people than it currently already is. Well, there's no doubt we've got an affordability crisis within our housing industry. So let's look at Labor's help to buy scheme. That's only going to help 10,000 low income earners. Does that fall short of fixing the housing crisis? Well, yes, it does. And I would say that the Labor Party scheme, like any other scheme that allows people to spend more on housing than they otherwise would, results primarily in more expensive housing rather than more people owning that housing, that is higher home ownership rates. The Labor Party scheme does, however, have a couple of features that limit its impact in pushing house prices up. One is that, as you say, the number of people who can take the scheme up is limited to 10,000 per annum, which is about a tenth of the number of first-time buyers there normally are in a typical year. Number two, there's an income test on applicants. And third, there's a ceiling on the price of properties that can be bought with these schemes, whereas by contrast, there are no such limits on the eligibility for the coalition's scheme, you just have to have a lot of money saved up in your super, uh, in your superannuation balances in order to take the maximum advantage of it. So I think the government scheme would put more upward pressure than the Labor Party scheme. But the problem is that governments and oppositions, for all the crocodile tears they shed about the difficulties faced by aspiring first-time buyers, know that in a typical year there are only 100,000 or so of them, as opposed to the 11 million Australians who already own at least one property. And within that, the 2 million Australians who own two or more properties, uh, there are far more votes to be had in pursuing policies that keep house prices going up than there are in policies that would actually help first home buyers by restraining property price inflation. Indeed. Okay. Thanks so much for your insights. So let's like. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We have heard plenty from the major parties this campaign, but the minor parties could hold the key to who forms government. I'm joined now by leader of the Greens, Adam Van, at tonight's party campaign launch. Thanks for joining us. Now, Mr Matt, you have laid out a list of seven demands if the Greens hold the balance of power. We're going to bring that graphic up now. On that list, among other things, free childcare, scrapping student debt and building a million homes. Great initiatives, but Australia's debt is nearing a trillion dollars. How do you think the government will pay for things like that? 
Well, we've had all of our policies costed and the good news is we can afford to do all of those things, to tackle the climate crisis and also to tackle the very real cost of living crisis without asking everyday people to pay more. And our plan this election is very straightforward. We need a change of government and we need to kick the Liberals out because they've made housing more expensive and they've made the climate crisis worse. It's going to be a very close election and the Greens are set to be the most powerful third party in the next parliament. And in balance of power, what we'll do is we'll make the billionaires and big corporations pay their fair share of tax. Now, at the moment, one in three big corporations in this country pays no tax at all. And when a nurse pays more tax than a multinational, something is deeply wrong. So we've had it costed. And by closing those loopholes and stopping those handouts and making the billionaires pay their fair share, we can do things like get dental into Medicare and build affordable homes for people who are locked out of the housing market. OK, as you say, the Greens could have an awful lot of power in another couple of weeks. That list that we've just shown of seven demands, are they non-negotiables? If you're doing deals with Labor, is this like you have to do all of these seven? Because you're going to have a lot of power. Will we get everything? Well, we'll have to wait and see, but will we be able to get things that will be a benefit to everyday people like dental and mental health into Medicare, like free childcare? Uh, I think we can. Both the major parties are saying they won't be doing deals. Labor specifically said they won't be de doing deals with the Greens. Do you believe that? Well, look, I think people can make their own decisions. I know that uh, Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese have both said that they won't talk to anyone, um, and I think your viewers can make their own assessment about what, whether they think uh, if one of those parties is in with a couple of seats uh, of forming government, whether they'll stick with that or not. Can I ask you, has anyone from Labor approached you yet? No, and uh, we'll just continue to run our own race in the lead-up to the election. But what we are seeing across the country uh, is a lot of people... Well, there's a surge towards the Greens that's going on. You know, everyone can take polls with a grain of salt after the last election, but for what they're worth, the Greens vote and the Greens support is rising. Uh, we're set to be the biggest third party in the Senate, and we're on track here in inner-city Brisbane. Um, we, we're level-pegging, if not got our noses in front in some inner city seats that could turn green here. Well, thanks so much for joining us tonight, Adam Bam. Thank, thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Cryptocurrencies haven't escaped the panic of investors grappling with rising inflation and interest rates, while the most known digital currency, Bitcoin, has staged a moderate recovery the past few days. It's still well down on its peak, above $90,000 in November. But look at this. A so-called stablecoin terror was priced around $118 Australian at the start of the month. It's now almost worthless. Joining me now in the studio is Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton. Gem, what is behind this turbulent ride right now for the cryptocurrencies? 
Well, Ange, when confidence is high and there's lots of money around, people are more willing to invest in really risky assets where they can gain or lose a fortune overnight. Uh, and cryptocurrencies certainly fit that bill. So in the last couple of years during the pandemic, we had record low interest rates. We had governments giving out really generous stimulus checks. Uh, now we've seen that all go into reverse. Interest rates are starting to rise again. There's no more stimulus checks. Cost of living is going up. So we're seeing all risky assets, not just cryptocurrencies, we're starting to see money drain out of them once again. So by no means is this just Bitcoin. We've seen technology shares. It's been a similar situation where there was panic buying because people thought they were missing out on these like really rapid gains. Uh, we're now seeing more panic selling. So we mentioned these stable coins. Um, I hadn't heard of this. Yeah. What are they and why have they taken such a big hit? Right, so stable coins are supposed to be a slightly safer type of cryptocurrency because they're supposed to track the value of another asset, often the US dollar. So just bear with me here. So if the US dollar goes up by 2%, for instance, a stable coin is supposed to also go up by 2%. The dollar goes down by 5%, they're supposed to go down by 5% as well. One of the biggest of the stable coins is called uh, Terra, and we saw last week that correlation fell apart. So the dollar went one way, Terra went the other way, and a lot of people lost a lot of money. Uh, and confidence that these stable coins do track the assets they're supposed to track has now has now dissolved. Okay, so for people like me who didn't get into Bitcoin, is now the time, because it's crashed, to buy? Is it going to get back to where it was? Well, in general, in investing, you should buy low, sell high. So you do buy after a sell-off. Um, it might be a little too soon to, to, to buy a Bitcoin. We've seen a lot of people who've been burned, um, who haven't been burned before. We've seen crypto crashes along the way. We had a lot of new investors in cryptocurrencies in the last couple of years, people who haven't gone into the market before. I think that pain will continue for, for a bit to come. It's also just a difficult climate for risky assets, and I think that will continue. Interest rates are going to keep going up, uh, which argues against piling back into Bitcoin. The other thing is, the further, the, the longer it goes on, the harder it is to prove or to make the case that Bitcoin is useful. It's been 13 years now where it's existed and you still can't walk down the street and pay for anything with it. So what's the point? It's, uh, it's getting harder to say that it will be useful one day. So, you know, you do want to buy assets when, they, when they've sold off, but... Uh, Maybe not this one. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be buying it right now. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Ange. Thank you for your company this evening from the team here at 7 News. That is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night.